Hello team and welcome to episode 453 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ali Mazer. Ali is the founder of Beyond Herpes, whose mission is to bring hope, guidance, and confidence to those suffering with a herpes diagnosis. Herpes has been and is still an extremely taboo subject, but did you know that 50 to 80% of the US population have oral herpes and between one in six to eight people have the genital type? Think about it this way. The next time you walk into a coffee shop or even go down the aisle of a supermarket, one of the people that you see has herpes. So if so many people have it, why is it still not spoken about? And that is exactly what I spoke about with Ali today, along with so, so much more. In this episode, you can expect to learn what actually is herpes and why it's really not as bad as you might have thought it was, what you can do with both your physical and mental health if you have an outbreak, along with how you can have a successful dating life whilst having herpes. So without further ado, Ali Mazer. Ali Mazer, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. The pleasure is truly mine. I'm very excited to dive into our topic today. But before we do, I want to give the audience an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. So who is Ali and what is it that you do? Yeah. So hi, everyone. I'm Ali Mazer and I have a company called Beyond Herpes. So I help people with herpes diagnoses or either like initial ones or ongoing long-term issues who are having trouble moving forward in their life. So whether with the physical symptoms of herpes or with dating with herpes or just the general like shame and fear that can surround it. So I look to get out there however I can to make sure people know I exist. So it involves speaking and then I do one-on-one coaching and group programs to help people that are suffering. Amazing. And not so long ago, the perfect client for you would have been yourself, right? Yes. Going through your own experience. So I'm curious to get to know a little bit more about that story and that side of things and what led you on this path in the first place. Yes, definitely. So almost exactly 10 years ago, when I was 23, I got genital herpes. It was, for me, it was a very, very like shocking and scary time because the important but kind of personal fact was that I was a virgin and I was waiting for at that time I was like really serious about waiting for marriage or for a really serious relationship I was living in New York I was living like a crazy party well it's actually funny Elliot I was in the wellness space like I was you know um I wasn't yet a yoga teacher but I was in the wellness space and I was still just living like a toxic New York lifestyle and drinking a lot and um yeah, Tinder had just come out and I went on a few dates with someone and I decided, you know, I, I am the probably oldest virgin in New York City and I was just sick of like <laughs> having a lot of like confusion and guilt. And anyway, long story short, I got I got it within the first month of being sexually active and I saw all around me people having sleeping around and I was so confused and hurt and you know, I grew up Catholic, so it was just completely like, like shocking to my system and my morality. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I, I remember with some really specific nights laying in bed, just crying and on the internet, Googling like what to do, how to stop breakouts, how to date. I thought I wasn't going to be able to date anyone that didn't have it. Newsflash for anyone listening, like that is not true <laughs> and you can get rid of it. Um. Well, the symptoms. So, so yeah, so I swore that at some point I would do something about it. And I, I remember seeing a girl doing a TED talk and 
she didn't really resonate with me. I was not really inspired. And I was like, even at 23, I was like, I could be on that stage doing a better TED talk. And um, that that was what kind of drove me. And I it took a long time. And I got into another career path. I started another, I was the co-founder of a company in the wellness space, but I'm glad I'm finally here. So, uh, and I guess the important part to Elliot, sorry to go on and on, but is that it took me like three to four years to control my breakouts and then to get them like dormant. So that, which means I don't have active breakouts anymore and I can, you know, we can get into the nutrition and in the, like, I don't have to be so, so careful about what I eat or activity because I just don't have them. And, um, but it took me way longer than I wanted to take other people. And it took me way longer to get over the shame and the guilt, lots of therapy, lots of crises. So yeah. And it sucks, right? Like you said, you were super, super careful. And then at the point that you're finally like, okay, I'm ready to still be responsible, but make this choice consciously. And then it ends up happening. And this does happen to a lot of people as well. And I think that in a way at that time, it was obviously very distressing and probably quite traumatic, but now it's probably the biggest blessing of your life because it's led you on this path, right, to help other people. And that's funnily enough how a lot of, I never wish anything bad on anyone, but you know, the majority of people I speak to, their greatest triumphs come from their trauma. So I'm glad in a way that you went through that experience, you navigated it so well and you've ended up here, but at the same time, going through that in that moment must have been super, super distressing. So take me back to 23-year-old Ali. How did you respond? How did you even know it was herpes in the first place? Yeah, great question. I was just, I was in agony. Like, it is really painful. It is not, I don't want to scare people. Like, it's a small sore. It can often just be a very, very small sore, like the size of like a pea. But it is very painful. And you kind of, I was always very in tune with my body. Like, you kind of just know, like, this isn't just a yeast infection. This isn't vaginitis or <laughs> go into the details but I kind of knew something was like up and so I did go to uh, I think it was probably like an ur urgent care or gynecologist and I was like I need I need to get tested and they actually don't often test for herpes unless you specifically ask them and I didn't even know it was possible but the, the gynecologist did say well you might have herpes so they tested me and okay and yeah and it and this this is a common story they were just like oh yeah you have herpes it's not a big deal like the first, I don't remember, but I remember over the course of the few months, I went to a few different doctors because every doctor had something different to say. Oh, you don't need to tell anyone. Oh, you definitely need to tell people. Oh, this is incurable. You need to take meds every day. No, you don't need to take the meds. They're, they have side effects. Like, it was like not okay. It was so confusing. <laughs> so that was 23-year-old me and yeah, very confused and upset. Yeah, and it must be awful when you've gotten so many different takes on it and you know you don't know which direction to go to, right? And obviously, you know, if we think back and anytime I have conversations on this show and we go back to the past, which we tend to do with a lot of guests that come on and it's like, well, 10 years ago, things are a lot less discovered and well-known than they are today. And I barely hear anyone have a conversation unless it's comical or someone's like making a joke out of someone when they discuss therapies in a conversation. So it's still not even there yet, right? Like yeah. mental health is a perfect example, right? Today, it can be discussed quite comfortably with many people. Many people still need to do some work in order to get there. But 10 years ago, again, really wasn't spoken about whatsoever. Herpes is a conversation for me that's not even really on the table right now. So I can imagine 10 years ago, again, you're, you're in your early 20s, kind of less experienced in the world than you are today. So it must be a pretty horrifying, you know, realization. So what were the next steps after that? Which advice did you take from which doctor? Did you think it wasn't something that wasn't super serious? 
And also, I guess, like, what did you do with it physically? And then what did you do with it mentally? You mentioned the therapy piece, but I'm curious to just dig a little deeper into that story. Yeah. So I guess it started, I was, I've always been like, you know, quote, healthy. Like I've always like really looked out for my body. So I did the deep dive. I mean, Google was my best friend. And unfortunately, there's you hear good and bad, but I did learn some things that resonated and that I practiced. So for example, cutting residual sugar, like all residual sugar, like any added sugar, even for a few months, I cut out like excess fruit, like I would still have some, but like really sweet fruits. And I, you know, basically, I know they don't like to use this term, the nutrition world, but like starve the virus. And um, it cutting out sugar for me really helped. Sugar included wine. So I went through and, you know, eventually after those, I stopped drinking completely. You don't, I'm not saying you have to. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. I don't. You basically um, reversed your New Yorker lifestyle. Yes. Yes. I very much did. It was, it was, and I, you know, sitting here now, it, it's funny. I'm 34 now and I'm like, oh, if I would have just done it quicker, but like you said, like the journey is, it's got to be worth it. Yeah. So I gave up sugar, gave up alcohol and, and the alcohol thing, just to note, like that obviously wasn't just for the herpes. It really helped. Like I noticed as my giving up journey, cause I didn't just like go cold Turkey. I just slowly stopped drinking. And eventually when I would have a drink or two, I would just notice how bad it made me feel and how I would get like potential breakout come on sometimes it's called a prodrome when it like you start to feel like oh I might have a breakout and then I would just interesting cut the alcohol cut the sugar drink a lot of water yeah so I think sugar was a huge thing using like herbal supplements lysine massive massive game changer that of course the pharmaceutical industry isn't gonna promote it because it doesn't make them any money um, can i say things like that <laughs> but, of course you can please um, the more open the better especially yeah. if you've got the, those type of insights so i was lucky my father was a emergency medicine doctor and he was so he you know was quick to say oh you can just take the pharmaceutical which is valtrex or l-cyclovir but he's also like me really into his health and he said he knows i'm not into taking medication so he told me about lysine and you just have to take a lot more than it says so several hundred or thousand milligrams yeah yeah it'll say take two pills a day you can take like six to eight it doesn't have um, negative side effects so that really helped and then avoiding food that triggers it so arginine is an amino acid that can trigger like viral outbreaks okay (laughs) yeah unfortunately it's in stuff like peanut butter Like I mentioned earlier, I can have some peanut butter once in a while now. It's fine. But for my clients who are dealing with active herpes outbreaks, I just cut, tell them to cut peanut butter on right away. That's a, and then, and then the opposite is eating foods high in lysine, which is that supplement. So black beans. Gotcha. And then over some time, the symptoms started to, because of, I would love to know personally your story. And then after I want to kind of go more general with other people and what they might yeah, expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So was it pretty immediate in terms of those physical symptoms starting? Did the pain reduce? What else was, obviously you had the visual aspect of it as well. Did that also go away or? Yes. Yeah. And the, and the like, again, it's so small. Like it's like herpes. I think the reason, one of the reasons it's so scary is because it doesn't have to look like that scary. It just hurts when you get it. So it, it is scary. And I have tons of sympathy for people who are nervous about it. But yes, as soon as I made those changes, it kind of stopped it in its tracks. But what I will say, the 
over 50% was the emotional component and getting in a state of not as much stress. So getting my nervous system in check. At the time, I didn't know all the lingo. I didn't know that I was you know, regulating my nervous system. But what I did know was that stopping all the excessive, like the partying and the kind of, and, and not, I had a great life. I, <laughs> I was like, I was a little, and for those, you know, people who know like what the Hamptons, like I would go to the Hamptons on the weekend and I would, I just, it was too much. And I was always, you know, recovering in the sauna with my green juice. It was ridiculous. And it was just like a cycle. So once I evened out and started a job that was more in line with what I loved and cared about, I, I ran business development for a corporate wellness company that did like yoga, meditation. It was very much more like, okay, this feels right. And I'm excited doing it. I'm excited to go to work. I don't, I want to be, feel good every day. I don't want to be hungover. Um, and then I would say too, like getting, finding a practice, a fitness routine that, again, I didn't know this at the time, but I found Pilates and it helped me so much with my stress. And I just, and yeah, it was like yoga meets like strength training. And um, yeah, I got in, I, I actually, it's funny, Elliot, at the same time I got an outbreak, um, I had broken my foot and I was going, I was set, I had a set date for surgery. So I was literally my first herpes outbreak when I lost my virginity, when I had surgery come back up in two weeks. Damn. Yeah. And I also like to note, like I could have had, this is a technical thing. I could have had herpes like for a while and just didn't like I could have had it in my system. It is you can have you can be born with it. Like my dad has oral herpes, so I could have had it dormant and it just could have come up in that time of extreme stress. So that's something I notice with clients. They'll be like so confused. They'll have not had sex for like a, a, long, a few months. <laughs> Years and they'll even. just suddenly <laughs> get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. Um, I don't know if I feel like I went on like a, a tangent out. <laughs> no, it makes sense. And what you were basically saying is obviously you worked on the physical component, obviously fixing the nutrition, going to your exercise routine, but the big part was the stress aspect, right? And navigating that. Yeah. And realistically, maybe reflecting and looking back, potentially the outbreak was all due to the stressful lifestyle. Is there any chance that you could have had the active virus as well and actually losing your virginity had absolutely nothing to do with it and it was just the fact that your outbreak just decided, yeah, it just happened at that time, became active? You know, there is. I believe there is. There's people that'll probably say there's no chance. He, you know, when I post something on TikTok, I shared this story and they were like, there's no way he definitely gave it to you. It's only through sex. But like, honestly, you could, herpes is so common, like over 80% of the population has it, that if it's... I mean, you have an open sore or like an open and you try on a bathing suit and then someone tries one on right after you and like it's scary, but like that's how common it is. So I could have had it in my system. Yeah. And I think that the the I mean, everyone knows for with sex, like it was traumatizing in itself just to the first time is like a lot of stress physically and emotionally. So it could have triggered it. Yeah, it's a good chance of that. And as you said that, there's two things I want to come back to. The first is obviously, how is it transmitted? Because if I'm interested, and I think 
you know, we, maybe we can go through the difference of this in just a moment, but oral herpes, for example, is just called a cold sore. You know, people say it all the time, like, ah, I just got a cold sore. Yeah. And I was just thinking, is there a chance that if someone has a cold sore and they are maybe, I don't know, kissing their child or kissing their baby, for example, is there a possibility of transmitting it that way? Yes, absolutely. And that's why some it's estimated that, I think the, the number is crazy. It's like up to, like... I don't have the exact statistics, so I'm not going to say it, but a very large majority of people are exposed to the herpes virus before age five. So whether in preschool, sippy cup. And so that that usually is the oral version. So the cold sore, which is herpes one. But another thing is like TMI, and I forgot to mention on your last question, I could have gotten it from oral sex. So if someone had, and then obviously people aren't going around when they have an active cold sore, like doing that hopefully (laughs) but if they're about to have one or if they had one and it's a few days later it's still viral shedding so you can still spread it so people that's how hsv1 herpes 1 is spread down to the genitals it's very common that people can get the oral version down there yeah makes a lot of sense and the thing is like you've mentioned there is the in a way, you were very responsible with your sex life leading up into the age of 23. But when you are young, especially if you haven't had a major outbreak, and also as even just an adult going through my day-to-day life, I didn't realize herpes and a cold were essentially the same thing. I didn't actually, yeah. I wasn't even aware of that. So you said, like you said, uh, some people might not be doing things orally if they have a cold but they might not even realize that there's anything to do with those two things, right? They might know it's contagious, but they might be like, oh, well, maybe it's just lips to lips, for example, but it's not anything contagious in any other area of the body. So it's wild that there's such a lack of information. And I want you to go back to that stat that you said before. You said 80% of people have been exposed or have, or what was the situation in terms of the stats? That's the HSV-1, so herpes-1 or the cold sore virus. But that includes people who have it orally or genitally. So it's just hard to estimate. Like some sites you'll see like 66% is one and then some it's like 85. So I always, I say between like 65 and 90% of people either have it or have been exposed to it. So they have the antibodies. But for herpes 2, which is the other strain, very similar, but it is a little less common. So it's estimated that one in eight people have herpes 2, which is genital. It's more often genital herpes. Gotcha. So that one is usually, to answer your other question, is usually transmitted just through sexual intercourse because it's usually, but you know, there's still, it's still interchangeable. And herpes too, yeah, it's a little less common. And the outbreaks sometimes are a little bit more frequent. So it is a different strain of the virus. But it is, I, 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 when I work with people though, I know that either one you can overcome and move past. You don't have to like worry about which one you have. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously getting a test is the best way to discover which one you have, right? Yes. And I just a funny story. So I clearly tell everyone now because it's what I do for a living. So I was telling one of my guy friends and he was like, oh, I have herpes. One, I have like the cold sores, but my doctor told me not to tell anyone. And it's just like, oh, like it's, I mean, it's controversial, right? Like, good for that doctor for not causing him any stress or anxiety. Yeah, but that's true. It's messed up because if he goes down on someone, like if he's not as, if if he's not worried about it and he genuinely doesn't think there's anything he needs to do, and then he's gonna he could give it to someone and they could deal with all the pain and trauma that I dealt with. And I think that's why 
that is wherein lies the problem is that it is just on the the medical community is all confused and if if they just told everyone the honest truth then it wouldn't even be taboo and people would just be open honest like whatever but because some people are hearing that some people are hearing herpes is for life you have to tell everyone then it's like terrifying yeah and that brings me to probably one of the most important questions, which is why is herpes such a taboo subject in the first place? Oh, God, I I still haven't figured it out. I think I because, you know, I say it's a skin rash. It is a skin rash like it is not life threatening. I mean, my dad, bless him, because when I first got it, I was able to tell him I have a good relationship with him and he's the doctor. And he just kept saying, like, stop. It's not a big deal. So many people have it like he didn't understand at the time that for whatever reason, if you're not in the medical community, you don't see people coming in and testing every day. Like all you see is the South Park joke about it or the joke on a romantic comedy. Like, and you think slutty, it's slutty. And the word slut carries so much shame and it's, and it's a horrible word. So it's so associated with herpes in college. Like, oh, she's a slut. She probably has herpes. I mean, I hate even saying that out loud, but I remember hearing that and thinking, oh God, I guess I don't want to get herpes. And then now if I ever hear something like that, I've literally walked up to people. I walked up to a group on the beach and was like, you guys need to learn about herpes. Like I have herpes. Do I look like a slut? (laughs) So I think it's just the, like the, the storyline and that's what you're here to do right you're here to rewrite the narrative because clearly a very very poor narrative has been created around this and yeah when i speak to people like yourself or medical professionals as well i was amazed to hear the how relaxed they were about it that, ah, it impacts 80 percent of the population i was like well it impacts 80 percent of the population why is this the first time i'm hearing about this and why is no one having these conversations and like you said it carries around a lot of shame and Maybe even like obviously from a female perspective, probably carries more because they have that negative connotation with that. Obviously, if it gets said to a man in some senses, it might even be a compliment in a way. So it's kind of a little bit twisted. But I also think there's an element of shame as well, because if if a man, which, you know, they they come into their mature stages and they start to really like someone who they want to be with, and they might be uncomfortable with sharing the reality that they have it as well. So obviously, you've mentioned a couple of times in regards to should you say it, shouldn't you say it? Where do you stand in terms of telling people? And obviously, I guess, backtracking as well. Is it worth going to get tested before you maybe get into a sexual relationship with someone, even if you've never had an outbreak before? Because I reckon someone who's listening today who maybe has had no symptoms at all is like, well, maybe I should get tested if, you know, it's not, there's a pretty high chance that I have it. So tell me what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, of course. So it is, I feel like, it's kind of a person like I have my thoughts um for what I do for me and then what I do for a lot of people I work with like that kind of fall in the same camp but it is kind of personal based on I mean obviously everyone's like um what's the word the way they think of or approach intimacy and sex and you know being sexually active is different so I like to be really sensitive to that I personally really am still 34 I'm still waiting for like I have been sexually active throughout the years with partners that I was like in, involved with for a very long time and I thought there was potential on to be married but I um for better or for worse I'm not there yet so I am committed to you know I do think that I guess I tell people really soon to get to your point and then I can get back to your question 
I think telling someone on like a third or a fourth date, so I guess that's not really soon, but so you are letting them know that this is something that you bring to the table and guess what? There's a hundred worse things you could bring to the table. So I just like, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's very true. I just like to think of it as it's not, okay, we're thinking about sex. Now I have to tell them it's more, we're thinking about like, I actually really like this person. I could see a future with them. I want to let them know this about me in case it goes there because I don't want to have to tell them, you know, the month before we're engaged or married or whatever. And I, I think of it more that way. And, you know, like my last boyfriend, I told him probably on the third time we hung out really pretty soon. It was, it was like, you know, love at first sight. We were talked for hours every time we got together, but then we didn't sleep together for three or four months after that. And it gave us time to continue to get to know each other. So I, I tell people to first reframe the situation because a lot of people, they really are looking for like true deep relationships and this is maybe getting, you know, uh, just to be candid, getting herpes might be a, a course direct or a course change. So don't think, oh, God, I have to tell, quote, everyone. Think, what are my intentions with, with dating and finding love? And the right person is not going to, you know, if they if they just want to sleep with you, they'll, they might care. But if they, like, love you for who you are, they won't. So I say, wait a few dates, but early is better because then it's not, like, just because you're going to be sexually active. And also really important note, not on the first date. It doesn't need to be said. Because like you said, people don't know. So if they have a negative connotation, like if they need to be educated, why should they have to associate you with that stigma from the first date? I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair um, to that, the person who has it. If, but I also get a lot of pushback. <laughs> well, like you said, I kind of, I think it kind of depends on the intentions, right? Like if you are taking it super slowly, you're just going to go on a few dates first. Does it really need to be said on the first date? Maybe not. Like you said, if the intentions are to be sexually active from date one, then that's completely your choice. And then obviously, then the conversation might have to come up. But I can't even think of like what the convenient moment to say that is in that situation. But realistically, you know, a couple of dates in, it gives you an opportunity to speak about the important things in your life, which is probably hopefully not the top, might be in the top 10 things that you might want to speak about, but it's not going to be in the top three, probably, unless you're working in it like yourself, for example. But I'm sure there's more avenues to yourself than this as well. So I think that, like you said, just give people an opportunity to get to know each other first. And and also we'll put down the defenses as well, because they've already got to know you as a person. Maybe in the first date, you haven't kind of built up enough like trust with them, enough like you know, connection or even chemistry. So then once you get to that date three, then you're really going to know where you're at. And then I think that makes sense. I, I don't, what is people's pushback? I don't get the pushback. Yeah. Oh, with the, you know, I mean, just troll people on Instagram or TikTok saying like, ew, tell on the first date. Like, we, you know, it's it's mean. I get a lot of mean comments. Um, I can imagine. And I just. Unfortunately. Yeah. And But then for every mean one, there's so many more nice ones that are like, get out of here, buddy. Like, or, or I mean. Is there's girls that do mean comments too, but um, yeah, it is it is people that are just looking to be rude, I guess. Got you. But one of my question is, is like, what is people's issues apart from obviously just trolls and just trying to get a response out of someone? But why would they have an issue with someone not saying it on the first date if they have no intention of being sexually active? Yeah, I I, I think I mean I know a few people who have reached out. They I mean. Again, these were literally people I do not know on like social media just saying they'd rather know right away like so they can and 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 
oh, I don't even, I feel bad, Elliot, because like this is like such a small percent of a reaction. Like I would say like one to 3% is a, is a reaction like that. But I have in real life gotten it again very rarely but a guy who's like oh no I don't I don't know like just totally naive and 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 maybe if yeah I have gotten reactions like that in real life but 90 to 95 percent of the time it's oh like positive like I don't know like compassionate and forward thinking amazing and i'm glad and i was just trying to ask the question because i was trying to find the logic like genuinely giving these people the one to three percent the benefit of the doubt but i genuinely still can't see the reason if your intention is not to be sexually active i really don't think there's any reason if there is then obviously it makes sense so i'm kind of going to case case closed on that one but obviously there's still going to be the comments because that's that's the type of people that uh, tend to handing out on social media more so than anything to be completely honest but transitioning back onto the main subject and getting into the understanding of why this is such a taboo subject and something that's not talked about a lot in terms of next steps and obviously awareness what do you think the solution is do you think it's something to be brought up in schools again i remember my experience with any like hints of sexual education which was very very minor to begin with but talk to me about how we can genuinely educate people in a in a way that actually makes sense for younger people to know because that for me obviously seems to be the obvious route is to let younger people know that it's not that serious something that we should be aware of x amount of people are exposed to it but at the same time, how are we going to do that in a way that actually has like teenagers not like laughing or making jokes, but actually taking it seriously? Yeah. So I think it has to be. Yeah, I'm the same. I had a very poor like public school health education, like sex ed. But I do remember that it just being batched in with other STDs and it's not the same. And, you know, of course, I have compassion for anyone going through any issue with STDs, but it is different. Like there are long term of like impacts of chlamydia. Like there are things that it affects like with your reproductive system. And anyway, with herpes, I do think it needs to be separated, even if it's simple and it's a few a topic that is like one lesson that how common it is and that it's a STI, a sexually transmitted infection. It's a viral it, it's it's a virus. So it can live inside your body dormant and just the the facts like about what it is versus the other STDs would be a super helpful starting point. And then educating, yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to too, like including it, parents, including it in what they talk about when they talk to their kids about sex. Yeah, maybe the reality is, is a lot of adults don't know about it, right? So there could be the responsibility, like an extra responsibility on the education system to obviously put it out there. And like you said, at least put the facts out there so no one can put their hand up like me and say, no one ever told me this before, right? Because that's the position that I'm in. I had no idea. And I can't even, obviously, yeah, the more common ones like chlamydia, for example, you remember hearing those words mentioned maybe in your science or your sexual education class but herpes again maybe it was mentioned but i don't remember it being such a common thing or so so you know not really that that bad in a way nothing at all like that and then obviously parents obviously that translates onto hopefully some of the people who are speaking we're speaking to today maybe their parents right now maybe they're going to be parents in the future and then the responsibility that they have to tell their kids as well and i think that that's 
probably a good next step for both. Now, talk to me about the ongoing repercussions, because of, from my understanding, it's that you took some potentially pharmaceutical medicine and you kind of deal with it like an infection and then it goes away and probably doesn't come back. But what is the reality of herpes? Is that the situation in some cases? Is it really long and ongoing with many people, which from my understanding of talking to you, it seems like that way? Yeah. So great. Uh, Elliot, I love this conversation and you have great questions. Just saying. Ah, Thank you. I'm glad. So yeah, so that is the case with some people. And, you know, my hope is that there's so many out there that that's the case and I just don't hear from them, but they're that they're they are telling people and sharing uh, when appropriate. But it is ongoing for a lot of people. So ongoing, meaning you can get breakouts anywhere from like once a month to once a year. Some people get them very sporadically. Um, when you know I my clients it it is a huge range but the un the the thing that we could you know go on forever about is that it all comes down to it is a sign it is a sign that your body is not happy whether it's more emotional or physical you're under stress and duress and you're you need to be taking care of your body and your mind better and um and making a change and and I have so much compassion for people who don't know what it is that, like, why am I getting these outbreaks? I'm I'm doing the right diet or I'm going to a therapist. And I just, what I've learned personally is sometimes it does take, like, the deep work to figure out what in my life is not aligned. Like, is it my job? Is it my partnership? Is it my relationship? Is it family issues that I haven't resolved? Is it that I have been following a certain diet because it looks trendy and really it's not serving me and it's causing me stress. For example, like if if intermittent fasting or a keto diet is stressful on your system, it can be amazing for someone else. But if it's not working for you when it comes to your nervous system, then it could cause outbreaks. So um, that's always a hot thing. I but for I am not a vegan, but there has been months at a time where I have got did a more plant based diet and ate more regularly. You know, no intermittent fasting whatsoever because I just wanted my body to feel like grounded and more full. And yeah, so anyway, I could go on with that forever. But I think it it to get back to your like direct answer, it's finding what it is in your life yeah that you need to change and then that's when people start to see the outbreaks go away but it's often a pretty big a big change yeah absolutely and i think that that's a challenge it's a good point you bring up regarding intermittent fasting as well any female nutritionist or expert you know female health expert that i brought onto the show has nine times out of ten not recommended intermittent fasting and obviously we want to speak on both men and females here but in terms of the system that the you know from a menstrual system perspective as well and just generally speaking the different level of hormones that women have generally speaking intermittent fasting or anything that is kind of restrictive is usually not the best answer when it comes to kind of holistic health let's put it in that bracket right obviously a little bit of fat loss and you know you could argue that if someone is 30 kilos overweight and intermittent fasting gets them 20 kilos lighter not because it's a diet, but because of the format. Amazing, right? They're on paper going to be more healthier by intermittent fasting than not. But at the same time, it is worth questioning whether it works for you or not. And like you said, whether it's actually doing you more stress than actual good too. So like you mentioned, the outbreaks, they can come quite regularly, but you can get those under control as long as you kind of work out the thing in your life that's triggering them, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. And 
Oh, yeah. And I will say just one thought that came to my head when you were saying that, because I think there's this movement and it's kind of frustrating to me that, you know, with and and I am not a nutritionist, I will say that. So it's not, you know, I don't have the indeed. But what I see and what I've learned is that on moderation is amazing, like, and for many people out there and not restrictive, because restrictive is the word I thought of. But I do see because of how much it's like, just don't, no food fear, don't worry, don't do this. But at the end of the day, sugar feeds viruses. So like, oh, and I hate saying the feeds word, sorry. But um, but if that is something that you need to restrict to get rid of outbreaks, it can be so helpful. So I just want to throw that out there in case someone listening is like, oh, I don't have to. It's something that has helped a lot of people I know um, and work with. Yeah, it's good to know. And I think that it won't be the most uncommon thing to hear, especially a woman, right? If they experience something like PCOS, for example, one of the immediate recommendations is to reduce sugar and carbs full stop. So it's not to say that carbs are bad by any means, but again, it's moderation, it's balancing these things out. And it's also trying things, right? Like you might, and this is a good example, right? I always have people ask me, ah, is this particular carb, you know, bad? Or will it cause me issues with inflammation, bloating, and all this type of stuff? And I was like, well, it really depends on how it responds to your body, right? There's like, on paper, if the food is kind of coming from a whole source, it's not really bad at all. And we can't put any kind of bad connotations on it. But at the same time, if it responds really negatively to your body, then it might be bad for you. And that's absolutely okay. So if you think and have a suspicion, or you're someone who consumes a lot of sugar and has a lot of outbreaks, and maybe it's an indication to maybe just try and reduce a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Got you. So transitioning onto the alcohol piece as well, you mentioned you cut that out too. Was that a major, major thing for you to get rid of? And obviously now that you are, I'm not sure if you're alcohol free now, but what does your life look like now that you kind of, I assume you're not completely zero sugar and zero alcohol all the time, or maybe you are, let me know. Yeah. So I am pretty much zero alcohol, like once a year, maybe I had a glass of champagne that I drink half of at a wedding or like a some tequila. I used to love tequila. So once in a while, I'd be like, oh, a little bit wouldn't. But it's funny, Elliot, it's like once and people listening that have gone alcohol free might resonate. Like once you cut it out completely and you don't crave it anymore, it's it's like you don't even want to bring it in. So that's where I'm at. I'm not like trying to be I'm and I feel really fortunate that I've been able to do it that way and not have to like demonize it or be scared of even touching a sip of it. I'll if someone wants me to try a sip of their homemade red wine at their vineyard in Italy, I'll try a sip. <laughs> but um so it has really helped, yes, with my health overall. And therefore the I think it plays a major part in preventing herpes outbreaks. Um, because at the end of the day it's just sugar, it converts the sugar in your body. Um and also just my stress levels, like the things you do or say when you're single and dating and if you have some alcohol is like really different and the emotions you feel and the next day blues you get or the stress you feel from you, oh, was this bad for my body? Like I just got rid of all of that, like no more. And it helped me live. I mean, I left New York. I moved to California. Um, I'm now in Austin, Texas. So I'm all over, but like I'm I'm led by like what makes me feel good and connects me with like-minded people, which has drastically changed my life, which is amazing. Um, and then the 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 sugar part to answer your question, I kind of it's same similar to alcohol. Like I don't I eat a lot of fruit, so fruit gives me that like I try to get my parents to switch their morning. They have like a morning coffee and cookie or biscuit. I think <laughs> we would call them. Um, 
and they want to like cut some weight and stuff. And I'm like, just replace your little cookie or your little sweet with a bowl of blueberries and even a drizzle of honey or I don't care. I have found that like once I swapped in fruit, a bowl of grapes, like it is so much better and more satiating and life-giving than any cookie or cupcake or a little piece of pound cake. I don't know. I I know though my 23-year-old self listening to this would be like, you're crazy. Like I crave my sweets. Like, <laughs> but fruit has really, really helped. Yeah. And it's a good point that you mentioned then. It's like once you kind of pull back these things and that's why when I get started with someone on a health and fitness plan for example I'm really really big on them cutting out something like alcohol for example for two weeks just to reassess their relationship with it and determine okay do I even want this in my life anymore how do I feel without it because of you know potentially for you as a 23 year old maybe you started drinking and they're like 16 17 18 years old right and for some people it's like well they've never had a break with alcohol right if they got to your age for example at 35 they might have not had a break from alcohol for like 10, 15, 20 years, right? So I think just giving that people the opportunity to just take a step away and like, okay, well, do I really want it? And then also give their body to body a chance to just slow down and not crave it and not need it anymore. And then, yeah, you're amazed at how it switches, right? You, the cravings reduce. Like you said, you find a replacement that you enjoy even more and then you try and go back to it. And you're like, mm, actually, maybe I'm not about this life as much as I used to be. So I like that idea of just kind of cutting out and maybe not saying it's permanent. And like I said, not demonizing it either, but just seeing what would my life look like without this? What would my life look like with the alternatives and seeing how you go from there? And that brings me on to one of my final questions, which is if you had to prescribe the most optimal, I know everyone's going to be very particular in terms of like what specifications are going to be best for a certain person you had to recommend the perfect nutrition plan and the perfect like fitness regime for someone who's going through many herpes outbreaks at this moment in time and wants to live a life with like, minimizing the outbreaks as much as possible what would that look like with kind of giving us as broad a picture as possible not going into the details of like what it needs to look like for sandra in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a great question. Thank you. And I just I want to note here because I have one of my best friends is a nutritionist. So the things and I hope hopefully she'll be listening. A lot of the things I take from her. So I want to just note that I love her and she's helped guide me a lot. And yeah, so if someone's suffering from ongoing outbreaks and it's you know it is you can target the nutrition and the and fitness more quickly than it is say find a therapist for example. So great, it's a great it's starting point. Yeah, yeah. And I think having a diet where, just like you said, for PCOS, you cut out residual sugar and refined carbs and scale back on a lot of carbs in general because we do know they convert to sugar in the body. However, I have found that leaving in white rice, it's easy to process, oatmeal um, is not so bad. And that's, again, for me and for people I've worked with, but not all the time, but to at night with meat or whatever it is you're making – to have to keep you feeling satiated and grounded or I also like love Ayurveda um, Ayurvedic practices so warm food that makes you feel like grounded um and I know that's not so specific I think whole foods obviously no processed foods as a package get it out of here and and a healthy amount of protein it's like high high protein whether you're getting it from ideally animal proteins but if you have a viral load is what I call it or if you have like a lot of toxins in your system and you need to do a deep reset animal proteins unfortunately from everything I've learned and been through health wise is something to temporarily cut back on um, in order to let your body cleanse and 
we can talk about that on another episode if you want. I'm I'm a fan of like a lot of the temporary pauses on high animal and high fat diets in order to like get rid of toxins in your system. So take a pause, still get in your protein and and then exercise wise. Okay. When you first get herpes, you read the craziest stuff like don't sweat, like it'll cause the, the outbreak to be worse. No, that I remember being confused about that. Do what exercise makes you come alive and feels really good. If that's a high intensity, that's okay. Even though it's like stress on the body, if you feel amazing after, do it. So whatever gives you the endorphins, so running, boxing, personally, if those do sound like high stress and like unattainable, then know that you can, and you know that you can talk more to this, but like for me, it was Pilates. Like I needed to take a step back. I went on long walks and did Pilates. So if you're really in a state of, so I guess shifting to the the emotional side of things, you can kind of incorporate the fitness aspect here. Like you can temporarily like just go on long walks, just do low impact Pilates and that'll help in turn your nervous system and therefore prevent outbreaks. I know that was like a big circle. <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's all about listening to your body, probably opting for low impact if and I think that that's probably a good idea because of the people who are most stressed are usually drawn towards the most high intensity exercise. That's what I found. They love to, you know, beat themselves in the office and then beat themselves in the gym, then beat themselves in all areas of life and they never give them their body or mind a rest. So I like that invitation to maybe take a step back from that, try something different just for a little period of time. And obviously grounding yourself in whole foods as well and not straying too far from the fundamentals, right? And I'd like you to touch on before we do transition away from that question, the higher lysine foods and also the higher arginine foods to avoid during an outbreak. Yeah, yeah. So I don't like to like scare people because because what I found is that the higher arginine, we'll start with the, the higher, the high lysine, so the good ones. So not scary, but fish, shrimp, Soy even has high lysine. I know there's controversy about soy on beans, lentils. So those are high lysine. But like you were saying, like depending on your diet, it's you don't have to like just all of a sudden eat all of these. Pick ones you like. For me, I love fish and I love black beans. So it's a great way for me to get in protein and get in high lysine foods on with fish, shrimp, and black beans specifically. When it comes to the other one, peanuts is really the only one that shoots up so high on the list of like the actual content of arginine that it's like that I see it impact people. But for example, other foods that are high in it can be other nuts and seeds. Okay. I never cut out almonds. I was fine. Never cut out tahini or sesame seeds. But I'm, I'm saying them here in case maybe you're vegan and your entire protein intake is tahini and almond milk. That might be worth looking at for someone who isn't vegan and who's eats more animal protein, like maybe not worth like cutting out your almond milk in your coffee or whatever it is. For sure. If that is helpful. Yeah, totally. And I think it's about not taking that extreme of an approach. And I think that if you're already going through something, especially if it's like your first outbreak, the last thing you want to do is like kind of traumatize yourself even more by being scared of food all of a sudden or being scared of specific types of exercise but leaning in the directions of what the recommendations maybe say i think is probably the 
gentle and most effective way to do things. So I like that approach as well. And Ali, this has been a super fascinating conversation. I'm glad that we've opened this door and I feel like we've opened it in a beautiful way as well. And I've got a couple of final questions. The first is, what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? Oh, yes. I want people coming out of, I mean, this is what came to my mind, college, like age, so late teens, early 20s, to feel empowered and knowledgeable about their sexual health and to know the, that you know the choices they make could potentially impact it and to feel like they're they have they have control and they they're yeah they're experts and then that's like longer term but right now my impact is just to be there for people like I just want to be a source for people who need support and compassion and someone to talk to um it's you know starting your own business is hard and I have to remember that even if people are listening and I help them that is massive and I'm so grateful to be able to do that yeah and I think a big thing you're doing is rewriting a narrative and I think that that's super super powerful and I think that well personally I haven't come across anyone who's doing it so vocally so I appreciate that you're taking that step you're not hiding behind something that usually has a lot of shame and taboo but you're just putting it out there for the world doing it in a manner that's compassionate doing it in a manner that's conscious as well so I think it's amazing work and I hope we can continue to spread this message far and wide. And if people want to get involved in your world a little bit more and find out more about you and the work that you do, where is the best place for them to find you? Yeah, thank you for asking. So my website, um, my Beyond Herpes website is actually livebeyondherpes.com. So I'm guessing it'll be in the show notes or something. So it'll be easy to find. So either shoot me a message on my website. There's a, a form where you can email me or you can book a call on my calendar, a 15-minute call to see if you want to work with me or sign up for my mailing list. So a few different ways, all via my website. And then definitely if you want to follow me on Instagram, that's where the fun little short clips of all the herpes things are happening. So you can follow me there too. And if you see anyone being mean in the comment section, go and respond and <laughs> be a nice person and get the person out of there as well. But Ali, get thank you out. so Exactly. <laughs> Ali, thank you so much for your time today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you for your time. You're more than welcome. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.